Hello, and welcome to Make Sense, a podcast where we focus on one of our five senses. Each week, we'll chat with a new guest and explore their experiences and relationship to that sense. I'm Chanel Miller. And I'm Karen Chi. This week, we're talking about taste with our guest, food reporter Priya Krishna, who's joining us later on. But first, Chanel, I wanted to ask, because our episode today is focusing on taste, what are some of your favorite flavors? Well, on my way home through the airport, I bought Hot Cheetos, and um, I felt like I needed them, and then I realized like I don't like to eat them in public, or like in such close proximity to other people. Like when I eat them, I want to just, like I sweat a lot on my nose and Mm. I want to just give in to the sweat. I want my fingers to get messy. And so I thought, I I don't want to experience this and be self-conscious the whole time. It'll ruin everything. So I waited until I got home and then I just sat in one sitting and just like ate and sweat and didn't touch anything. Just like fully immersive with my bag of hot Cheetos. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I feel like eating spicy food isn't just eating, it's a full-on activity. Like your whole body is exercising with you. And I don't want to be witnessed doing it. How about you? Something I was thinking about recently is, uh, so my mom and I and two, my old middle school teacher and his sister, the four of us went out to dinner and we're all Asian. And we noticed at the end we were having dessert and um, I called this out because I'd seen somebody like tweet this I think years ago but it was 100% true all of us were eating this lovely dessert and our highest compliment that everybody gave was "Mm, not too sweet (laughs) like oh how nice not not that sweet like a perfect level of gentle sweetness and that was very fun to see because we're all different ages um we were all thinking about sweetness in the same way and complimenting it the same way it was very lovely yes absolutely I was always really bitter growing up not having actually we did have how do you pronounce it ferrero rocher you know you nailed it that's that's it (laughs) the golden chocolate balls yeah those look so fancy we had those i'll tell you all right let's welcome our guest priya krishna hi can you introduce yourself to us Sure. Um, My name is Priya Krishna. I write about food at the New York Times, and I wrote a cookbook called Indianish about the food I grew up with. Priya, it's so nice to have you on. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm really excited, and I have no idea what we're going to talk about, which is thrilling. (laughs) Oh, good. (laughs) I'm so glad. I didn't prepare anything. (laughs) That's perfect. We don't want you to prepare anything. You also have a cookbook coming out next year in 2024 called Priya's Kitchen Adventures. Yeah, it is a cookbook for kids ages 8 to 11. But I am going to be honest with you. Many of my friends are like, it's a book for kids ages 8 to 11 and for adults who never learned to cook and hate shopping. So I think I just I like accidentally unlocked like second demographic. I sort of wonder if there's like an intersection, like adults who cook from kids books, but like legitimately, yes. these are like some of the best recipes I've ever developed. So I'm like, why should we be drawing a distinction between kids and adults? These are like, adults would love this. No, that makes total sense. As soon as you said ages eight to 11, I was like, that's like, that's what I'm trying to buy. <laughs> Cause it's not too hard. I'm assuming you don't want anything that's like 
using the oven. I'm always scared of using the oven because it could burn me, you know? Um, and I assume if it's for kids, it's going to be quite friendly and safe. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, there are little, like, icons that say, like, oh, a, a parent should help you. This is hot. Like, you know, when you're, like, sizzling garlic or using a blender or things like yeah. that. There is an oven involved in some of the recipes, but I would say it's, like, 70 75% ovenless. So I think okay. it could be well-suited to your needs. Thank you so much. And I'll make sure there is a parent when I'm sizzling garlic. I will supervise Thank when you. there's heat. How many title iterations did you go through? Because when I heard Adventures, I thought that's really cute for a cookbook. And it's because it's for younger people and Karen. Well, <laughs> it's because it's a it's really a travel log. When I was young, my mom worked in the airline industry. So we got to travel the world essentially like through her job and as like a benefit to her job. You know, when you work for an airline in the 90s, like you really you could like take your family wherever as long as there was a seat on the plane it was amazing and we lived in Dallas which is like a big travel hub and so by the time I was a teenager I'd gone to all of these places France Egypt Germany you know China and my mom and I would go there we would eat and we would come home and immediately be like how do we recreate these six things we loved and so we would do research we would talk to friends whose families were Chinese or Egyptian and they would give us recipes and so the book is very much like Priya's journey around the world and you know me and my mom working with our friends to recreate those dishes we love so much what about converting family recipes to measurements because even when I ask my mom to teach me how to cook something she refuses to use numbers and so I'll scribble down like a thimble of this and like my mom used like three fingers to pinch it or you know what I mean it's like all shapes I draw shapes in my notebook of how big or small the portion was my mom uses like a disposable turmeric stained plastic spoon to measure so like I totally feel that and really what my book was trying to do was to do a service to all of these uh children of immigrants whose parents are like just add it until it tastes good yeah which is not a very helpful instruction so I was hoping that I could sort of lend some clarity and teach immigrant kids who are like dying to learn how to or kids of immigrants who are dying to learn the food that they grew up with or at least taste something familiar but whose parents have not necessarily been the most helpful at giving them guidance because like writing down a recipe is kind of a very western thing like you know in in india passing on recipes it's very much like you show someone like it's like an oral tradition and so my mm. hope is like i want to codify this to make it easy for like our generation who grew up with cookbooks, who grew up in the US, who have are not afraid of measuring cups um, and who like are so nostalgic for these flavors. Absolutely. I feel like my mom always relies on intuition. Like she's never even asked herself what exactly is going into it. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's so just process leaning and why, when I ask her, like, oh, why is this one so good? She's like, because my love. I was like, that's not an ingredient I can buy. <laughs> that's so true. I think there's also an element of when you are a kid of immigrants, you feel like I have to get this right. Like, I have to get this exactly the way my parents did it to get that flavor. And then when I ask my mom, she's always so chill about, 
oh, well, if they don't have this, you can swap it for that. And like, here are other things that are readily available at the grocery store. And it's very liberating in how chill it feels also. Yes, 100%. I totally agree. So does that mean if you were eating with your mom in these various countries, was your palate just ready to go? Could you just sit with the adults and eat whatever was being put down on the table as a child? There was no sense in my household of like, the food for adults and the food for kids. Mm. Like my mom worked, she was really busy. She didn't have time to make like a separate meal for us. And so she just made us whatever my she made for her and my dad. And if we didn't eat it, we like would go to go go to bed hungry. That was sort of just the policy. Like I you know, I've I feel like I now have friends who like make entire separate meals for their kids. And like that's just not how I was raised like I remember when I the first time my parents took me to like an olive garden I was like there's a kids menu why is there a different menu for adults and kids I always ordered off the adults menu because I was just like used to eating what my mom ate I like didn't like I didn't need like my food to be like beige and fried like I actually really liked vegetables as a kid I don't know (laughs) wait that's so awesome how do you think you're palate has changed from when you were a kid to now then if it was so if it was already quite mature to begin with I mean I wouldn't even call it mature as much as just like I was I was never given a choice (laughs) I see what you mean yeah yeah you ate what you were given it's not like it's not like I was like sophisticated this like fancy kid my mom was just like I've made you alu gobi and if you you can eat that or you can be hungry and I chose to eat it right (laughs) I love that. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I guess that's true. I guess um, especially having immigrant parents, they're not going to be like, here's a plate of chicken fingers for you <laughs> while we eat our ethnic yeah. food. Yeah. Exactly. That makes sense. Can I ask when you became aware? I mean, you were tasting and creating with your mom, but when did you become aware that people – other people were out there actively crafting recipes and like authoring the way that we taste things. Like when did you become realize you could become an author of taste? Um, I remember my mom subscribed to the vegetarian times. It was a magazine, like a, like one of those old school print magazines and we were vegetarian. So I just like convinced her to subscribe to it. And I loved print magazines. I still love print magazines, like pouring over them. And I just remember uh, in the Vegetarian Times every month that our issue would come and it would be like an entirely new slate of recipes Mm. that had been developed by these people whose job, I guess, was to create recipes. And I loved going through each recipe and I would like dog ear the ones that I wanted my mom to try and make. She almost never made any of the recipes. It was like all aspirational. (laughs) Like she made what she wanted to make. But like I just... I, I was sort of obsessed with the idea that like you could come up with a new way to make something or you could develop a recipe. You could that that you could influence what someone cooked for dinner that night. Um, and also like, you know, despite the fact that I like grew up in a really like globalized way, like in many ways I had all of these like blind spots like ingredients that I really had never heard of and so the vegetarian times was a really big unlock for me like that magazine and the and the food network 
were huge um just in terms of like i mean frankly like those two things alone introduced me to like what white people eat <laughs> like i didn't know that salads could have mayonnaise and then i read the vegetarian <laughs> times and headline news I learned. in the vegetarian yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing i wonder if the vegetarian times is still do you know is it still in print i i think i think it folded oh. i think i actually saw this and i got really sad because it was so influential for yeah me. i'm imagining like a blurb of the vegetarian times is like i love it and it's by a cow and you're like oh yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's so cool. Can I ask, when you were the person authoring a recipe, when you're trying to make it and you're, how many drafts does it go through? How many times do you have to try using that recipe to be like, ooh, this is solid, it's done? And then when do you decide that it is done? Is there a clear endpoint? That's, a, I mean, that's a great question. I think there are some recipes that, like, this is, this does not happen often, but where you make it and, like, the first two times you feel like you really nail it, and you've got it and the proportions are great um some recipes take a lot of iterating a lot of trying over and over and over again but like you making it is just the beginning like you make it and then recipe testers make it and you find out if they even like it if they if it's something they would ever even add to their rotation if they found it delicious um if it if it if they found it easy to follow um and so usually i have two or three people test it Mm. And then I test it again. And then when we're doing the cookbook shoot, usually I'm making it again. And then I'm like, it's sort of like another test. I'm th- Everyone thinks about recipes in a different way. For me, I'm thinking about the average home cook and all of the, all of the, the ways they might not follow my instructions and will they still end up at delicious? Right. Have you ever gotten a review from someone who has clearly not followed any of the instructions and then been very mad at their final product? Oh, yeah. Like, read so many of the comments on, like, New York Times cooking recipes of mine. And it's like, I swapped the paneer for broccoli, (laughs) the spinach for squash, the cumin for like oregano and it didn't work what happened have you ever responded to a wild comment on the new york times i have coworkers who will do that but i don't good for you yeah i don't know i just like feel like you could fall down a real rabbit hole there. yeah yeah no this is clearly someone who wanted to cook a different dish yeah yeah and then complain that you wrote a different recipe yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense Do you ever go to like a potluck dinner party and because you are a food reporter, do you ever feel a lot of pressure on how good your food item needs to be? Oh my God, like infinite pressure. I feel so much pressure. Uh, It's so like I was going to my friend Shruti's birthday party and it was all non-food people and I was the only food person coming and I was like, I had sort of like messed with making this like Indian inspired tomato pie but I wasn't sure how it was going to taste and like it was a pie. So it's not like I could cut into it and taste Mm. it. And so I was just like bringing this savory pie. I was just like, fuck, I hope this tastes good. And I had used store-bought crust. I hadn't made my own crust. I was like, I hope this store-bought crust is good. I never used this brand before. It was so terrifying. Oh my God. Yeah, totally. How did it go? Did it end up being good? Yeah, it was, everyone finished it, but it didn't mean I was like not like hovering around the table being like, are people eating it? What do they think? 
but yeah, I get I get very very nervous. Um, I I feel like any food writer who says the other the who says otherwise is like lying to you or themselves. <laughs> it's interesting. Once you get good at cooking things like are you still able to take risks all the time or you know what I mean like if you hadn't I'm sure you could cook something that you know is going to be well loved but do you still push your risks on other people yeah I mean oftentimes what I'm making for other people is like something I'm testing Mm -hmm. and I and I'm and I find the feedback helpful but oftentimes like I feel like what I who I'm usually when I'm serving new people, it's usually like my really, really good friends, like people I know who like they, they know I'm a good mm-hmm. cook. They're they're like if I if it just like was a disaster, they wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't think twice about it. They know they've tried many of my experiments. Um, if I'm going to a big potluck, I'll usually just bring something tried and true. That tomato pie was really the exception in which I was just like, yeah, it's tomato season. And I just want to like fuck around and see how this turns out. But I think it it turned out okay. How do you feel about like uh, fusion foods? Well, my cookbook Indian is just sort of a is is about just mm-hmm. that. It's um, it's called Indian ish for a reason. Like it's about what happens when food migrates beyond its borders. When um, people grow up in people like me who grew up in America but in Indian households. So I don't know. I. I sort of I've made it my whole identity to talk about why I think that like we don't have to be just one thing we don't have to be just one identity and we can stand proudly in the middle and I think um food is such a perfect representation of that um can I ask you a little bit more about the writing part of food I know in college you started a column for your college newspaper writing about the dining hall food and how to revamp it if you will yeah yeah (laughs) What what a deep cut. <laughs> uh, what compelled you to start doing that? And what kind of, what were you creating at that time, food-wise? Well, what I really wanted to, was to review area restaurants. But I went to school in like a very rural town. And there were like five area restaurants. <laughs> and also like, I worked for a school newspaper. They didn't have budget to like send someone to review the five area restaurants. Also, I'd like run out of things to write about in a couple of weeks. So really, everyone was so reliant on dining hall food. And one thing I thought was, like, my mom was so innovative. Like, we'd go to, like, a hotel buffet, and she would, like, combine this thing from here and this thing from here and, like, make her own unique little concoction. And I was always so inspired by that. And so I started just doing that naturally in the dining hall, inspired by her. And then I realized, like, oh, this could be, like, a fun column to teach people to, like, make their dining hall food a little bit better since we're in rural New Hampshire and this is kind of what we have to work with. And so I pitched a column to my newspaper editor and she kind of was just like, yeah, sure. Why not? Um, and I knew I loved food, but like at that point I didn't realize like that could ever be a career in my mind. I was just like, I like food and this is like a fun way to write about it every week. Was that the start of your food reporting? Yeah, I guess it was. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I think it's kind of sweet that you're in this area with limited resources and that forces you to be more creative versus if you'd been like inundated by different flavors. 
No, for sure. It's like I talked to all my colleagues in the food world and they went to school in New York or Philadelphia and they're like every week we were eating like Israeli food <laughs> and then we were having Chinese food and then we were having Egyptian food. And I was just like that was not my college experience. <laughs> um, how do you feel about eating alone and how often do you do it? I hate eating alone. <laughs> I have to be honest. No. I really hate eating alone. I also like I'm an extreme extrovert and I just like my therapist is like, try going for a walk outside. And I'm like, well, being alone with my feelings? No, thank you. <laughs> like, I remember I used to try to, like, go to restaurants and, like, bring my book and, like, read and eat. And I was like, well, I'm bored. I want someone to talk to. I hate eating solo. Like, I really do. Like, even when I'm home alone and eating by myself, like, I have to, like, have like the tv on so i feel like at least i'm like in dialogue with these television characters this leads us to a very important question that we were very excited to ask you which is what is your dream eating scenario yeah like four people um i would love to dine outside it would be like 78 77 mm -hmm. degrees maybe um and there'd be like an umbrella just in case or oh my god in texas growing up in texas we had this thing that there are fans and the fans spray water so you're just getting like misted with wonderful water <laughs> i mean this is like the most wasteful thing in the world it's like the most texas thing ever it's like you are sitting outside at like a tex-mex place you're having your queso and you're just being like sprayed with hot mist <laughs> and fanned at the same time and that's how you get through a Texas summer. It's like the most absurd thing. Your skin must look amazing as you're eating. Yeah. <laughs> I just had like a dewy glow yeah. the entire time, basically. <laughs> um, gosh, I really, really loved that. In Dallas, were there Asian markets where your mom would go to? Yes. In fact, like, I don't know if this is true for your parents, but my parents would go to like six different grocery stores depending on like where had the best deals and the best quality like produce they went to fiesta which was like the latino grocery store because they had amazing prices and great quality mangoes and like spices she'd go to the indian grocery store and for like all the indian ingredients and for cauliflower she was like the cauliflower actually my dad did the grocery shopping so he was like cauliflower and then he'd go to costco or sam's and get like bulk mm -hmm. goods um like rice and stuff like actually no rice was Patel brothers but he'd get like all this other like bulk stuff like big things of olive oil like stuff like that and there was very little he'd actually buy from like whatever like the local chain grocery store was oh my goodness wait that's such a good point yeah wait I have never thought about that for my own childhood but my parents absolutely did that and I yes. never do that now because I'm like yeah. I don't want to yeah. maybe it's also a New York thing because I don't have a car whereas I'm sure it's easier for you that's drive true. from place to yeah. place but yeah wow our parents were really that's really smart they're like playing a board game my gong gong still when I take him to run errands we go to all these places in a certain order and I know what items he'll buy at each place. Mm -hmm. So we'll be at Ranch 99, but like some of the greens will not be sufficient of sufficient freshness. So we'll go to the milk pail market just for chives. And then we have to go yep. to Walmart, like just for soy milk. And I'm like, bro, there's soy milk right here. Just get, the, get <laughs> yeah. this. So we don't have to drive 15 more minutes and park and like go through the whole thing. But he's so insistent on where we collect 
the items. Yeah. You know what this is making me realize is this would be such a great video game. Is like you follow an immigrant parent grocery shopping. Oh my god! And yes. like depending on yes. how you figure out what to buy at each place, at the end of each level, you're like, you've saved forty two dollars, or like <laughs> you've overspent. One hundred percent. So now should we move on to the drizzle round? Yes. So our final segment of the podcast is called a drizzle round. We think that lightning rounds are way too fast and rushed. And so we slow it down into a nice pitter patter for you. Um, So this drizzle round with Priya will be about taste. And our first question is what is one thing you could eat every day? Yogurt. I eat so much yogurt, like pounds of it. I could eat it forever. What kind are we talking? The like full fat, full fat stuff. I'll make it savory. I'll make it sweet. Mm. I'll, like I, what can't you do with yogurt? What doesn't it taste good with? Are you a fan of gogurt? I used to love gogurt when I was younger. Frozen or the, loose? <laughs> I was going to say we would put the, the blueberry we'd put in the freezer and the strawberry we'd put in the fridge because we felt the blueberry tasted better frozen. The strawberry tasted better in the fridge. Wow. Okay. For some reason, I can I get it. I don't know why, but <laughs> Thank that's you. a good Thank system. You. <laughs> <laughs> the, we also want to ask the opposite of this, which is what is something you never want to taste again? I feel like as a food writer, there's nothing I never want to taste again. Like, are there things that I don't, that wouldn't be my first choice? Yes. But I feel like for me, when I try something and I don't like it, it only makes me want to like keep trying it until I do like it. Whoa. Um, What is something that you need everybody to try at least once? Mm, Asphatita or heme. It's like a tree resin that's very common in Indian cooking. You have to bloom it. You can't just like eat it as is. But it just, it it tastes like the best part of garlic and onion. It's like aliami and umami and delicious. And when people say I I can't put my finger on what makes it so good with my food, it's usually the asphatita. (laughs) Is there a taste that transports you maybe to a memory or emotion? I mean, like so many Mm -hmm. things, so many things. The first thing that pops into my mind is that whenever I have like any kind of like rosemary focaccia, Mm -hmm. I think of Romano's Macaroni Grill, a chain in Texas, which was like our, we didn't like go out to restaurants really. We went to either like less fancy chains or fancy chains. Like fancy chains were like, it's like a really special occasion. And Macaroni Grill was like, this is super special, like super high end because like they had like a make your own pasta thing and it was so cool but they served this bread it was this like focaccia with rosemary and it was so good and they served it with a little balsamic and olive oil and it was just delicious and I feel like whenever I have like like rosemary focaccia it just like takes me back to the macaroni grill can I ask where Olive Garden fell on the fanciness scale Olive Garden was like medium fancy. Olive Garden was like birthday parties mm. we'd have at Olive, like like adult birthday parties at Olive Garden. Like kids' birthday parties, they didn't want to spend Olive Garden money because, like you know, that was like endless soup salad and breadsticks. Like yes, so smart. And is there any mm. uh, food that or taste that evokes fear? <laughs> a taste that evokes fear. Oh my god, that's like a, that's such a good question. 
okay i had a really horrible boss a really like a like a like verbally abusive boss and he loved carvel ice cream cakes <gasps> and especially the fudgy the whale ice cream cake <laughs> And I sort of like hate ice cream cake because he loved ice cream cake. So like, it's a no for me on Fudgy the Whale. Wow. Whoa. That's a so cartoon dark. villain trait to be so mean and abusive and be like, but I love ice cream cakes. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, have you ever been tricked by something that looks delicious but tastes terrible or the reverse where you're like, oh, this looks horrible, but it's actually amazing. Okay, I'll be honest. I feel this way about most ice cream cakes. I don't know if it's because of my boss, but like I I see it. I see a cake and I think it's going to have like a nice moist crumb and it's going to have like cake in it. And then you cut into it and it has ice cream and I just feel cheated out of cake. Like if I wanted ice cream, I would have. It's just like it's like an expectation versus reality thing. Like you mentally set yourself up for cake and then you cut into it and it's ice cream. I like that in your version of if we had the game show Is It Cake hosted by Priya Krishna, it would be actual cakes and you cut into them and you're like, no, ice cream again. (laughs) (laughs) So mad. (laughs) No, like, okay, when you're telling me like what are foods you actually don't like, like honestly, like I think my big one might be ice cream cake. Like I just... I'm like realizing this about myself. Like I genuinely feel like I get like upset or scared or sad when there's an ice cream cake. Well, the good news is this sounds like the most delightful possible version of exposure therapy you might ever need to do. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Is there a thing you've read about in a book or seen in a movie that you'd like to taste in real life? Oh my God. So many things. But you know what's... Okay, this is a really gross thing. But okay, have you guys ever seen the movie Oliver and Company? Oh, is that the dogs? Wait, the dog when he's running around with the sausages in his mouth? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, yes, exactly. Yes. Those sausages. Those sausages? Those sausages, not like they just like, oh my God, you're like, this looks like the greatest thing in the world. And then there's a second scene where um, he's at like the rich rich girl's house um, and she's making dog food for her like fancy poodle. And she makes this big concoction yes. in a, in the bowl, and to me, it always looked like something peanut butter and chocolate mm. and it just always looks so delicious. And those are like really, co- and also like I was vegetarian growing up, so like with the sausages, I didn't know what sausage tastes like, but it just, I mean, it just looked delicious to me. Yes. Uh, we have one final question in our drizzle round, which is, do you have anything you can recommend for our listeners to go out and try? One of my favorite things to do, I mean, all year round, but especially in autumn, is to get, like, a chai and a samosa. Mm. So, like, I mean, there are many places you can do this, but just, like, a samosa with some tamarind chutney and cilantro chutney and a cup of chai is just, like, a perfect experience that everyone should have and a really great autumnal experience. Um, Well, that's it from us. Priya, thank you truly so much for joining us. This whole conversation was such a blast. I'm glad we, we learned. learned a lot. Yeah, I'm glad we learned we have the same <laughs> set of parents. Just copy pasted. <laughs> <laughs> and good luck with your new book. I'm excited to book club it with children next year. Oh, thank you. Or yeah. adults. It's totally fine. Funny. No shame in adult cookbook, but yes, for kids. that's true. That's true. Well, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Make Sense with Priya Krishna and, of course, with us, Chanel and Karen. 
We hope we've encouraged you to go into the world with your senses wide open. And we'd love to hear from you. So send a one to three sentence description of something you've experienced to makes.sense.pod at gmail and we might share it on a future episode. Have a great week. Smell you later. Our producer is Kelly Wessinger. Our engineer is Jack Inslee. Our theme music is by Zakar Valaha, Michael, and Top Flow Production. Don't forget to like and subscribe. You can find us anywhere you get your podcasts. Don't forget to check out Priya's Kitchen Adventures out April 2024.